What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Lakers Guy. And I am the one and only, yours truly, That Lakers Guy. So what's up, people? It's been a minute since we last had a conversation. And, man, I should probably start doing this more frequently so there's less catch-up in the beginning of these episodes and we can just talk current events. But that's not the case. I have a life. I got things I got to do. I got work. I got school. I got other stuff. So let's hop into this right now. Since last time that we had a conversation, there's been a lot going on. LeBron went out with COVID and then in two days was cleared, was uh, said to have a false positive test. Um, so that was pretty wild uh, on Twitter. You know, everybody talking about LeBron uh, doing the chase down block on COVID and all the great memes. So that was awesome. Um, with a sense of doubt, but I'll get back. I'll get to that to, uh, a little bit later. And something that was a pleasant surprise is that over the last 10, 12 games or so, uh, Russell Westbrook's turnover rate had dropped significantly. And he was being more cautious with the ball. He was doing, uh, making less boneheaded mistakes. Less, he was being less careless with the ball. And he was really kind of stepping up, uh, finding some comfort in in running the offense. Um, he's still not great from three, but on corner threes, he's shooting 50%. So if I play devil's advocate, that's what I'm looking at. Um, he, for some reason, is just not always able to make dunks or open layups. So that's always... A slap in the face to see when a point guard whose best ability is driving to the rim can't actually finish at the rim but yeah so that's that's what that is and up until now or up to now the Lakers have had some small improvements in various areas while playing defense and that is, quite honestly, that's that's huge. Even while they're still pretty mediocre, they're not hemorrhaging every p- defensive possession and going and allowing teams to score, you know, 115, 120-plus points a game. And that, from what... It was in the beginning of the season is, is a big deal. Um, Frank Vogel has come out and said that he's had to simplify his defensive schemes to better suit the personnel that they have rather than trying to force a square peg into a round hole. With because I mean, Frank Vogel is known for these intricate yet elite defensive schemes that with competent players can get you a top five and you know even last season number one defense in the league so he's had to simplify it and meet his team in the middle because we just don't have the guys 
that can go out there like a KCP or an Alex Caruso or a Kyle Kuzma that can go and bust their butt for 48 minutes on defense and still give you production on offense. Um, so while we are not the juggernaut on defense that we once were, we aren't the gimpy, limbless, crawling creature that we started the season as. <laughs> and um, we've even seen some stints from minutes at a time to the most recent game against Orlando where it was a whole quarter of just solid defense. Effort is there. Scheme is there. They're making the rotations. They have the will to make it happen. And they are rewarded on offense with fast break transition, easy buckets, easy layups, easy dunks, alley-oops, and just easy points. And that is where they have or they look like they're having the most fun is when they're getting out in transition and getting the easy buckets. But what I don't think they really kind of understand is it is that happens because you play defense. You don't just get to have free transition points. It doesn't just happen. You have to earn it. You know, and if you're taking the ball out under the basket every every possession, you're not getting any transition points. And uh, so we're seeing some some, you know, improvements here and there. Um, some guys that that are really kind of. Uh, having an underrated. Underratedly. OK to solid defensive performance is, you know, we're seeing some really good help side defense from Carmelo Anthony. You can hear him communicating and talking, calling out rotations uh, as a help side defender. You you can see Wayne Ellington chasing uh, shooters over screens and trailing. You can see him making rotations, being where he's supposed to, and sometimes he gets dunked on. But that's just, you know, par for the course. Sometimes when, when you go out there and you try to make defensive plays, you get dunked on. And when you're like 6'3 or 6'4 like Wayne Ellington is and guys out there like 6'7, 6'8, 6'9, they're going to dunk on you sometimes. So that's completely fine. Um, Malik Monk is, has shown uh, leaps and bounds of effort with more minutes being granted and a more prominent role. He's uh, repaying Frank Vogel for his trust in him with defensive effort. So, you know, just wanted to make sure those guys are getting their flowers while they're actively contributing because not everybody does. And um, speaking of somebody who wasn't really, uh, let's talk about DeAndre Jordan, everybody's favorite Laker. <laughs> um yeah, no, he's not our favorite Laker. Uh, there was a turning of the tide uh, in the game where the Lakers beat the Sacramento Kings. Maybe three to four minutes into the first quarter, there were... Um, well, DeAndre Jordan is not a good defender. He's not even a good NBA player at this point in his career. And so expecting prime DeAndre Jordan, even in his prime, wasn't like... A super elite defender you know he was never making a run for a defensive player of the year or anything but so you you kind of see where I'm going where with what you can expect 
on the defensive end, well, just in general, on any end of the court from DeAndre Jordan. So um, he was giving his usual one effort, you know, type of defense and, uh, you know, deep drop coverage, allowing pull-up jumpers, floaters, lobs, and just about anything anybody wants in the paint. So he was subbed out three to four minutes into the first quarter and Dwight Howard went on to play about 35 minutes um, which is the most he's played in quite a while and uh, Dwight Howard balled the fuck out he went and busted his ass and defended he gave energy and he was probably the game changer because the Lakers were not looking good and Dwight Howard's uh, aggressiveness and tenacity on both ends kind of reinvigorated the squad and we had a fun win in Sacramento and so that was uh that was quite a turning point because from that point on Dwight Howard has started a couple games and he's basically been the backup center or the only true five uh, that gets minutes. So DeAndre Jordan hasn't really played minutes um, up until recently, and I'll get to that when uh, we cross that bridge. But basically, according to Dwight Howard's post-game uh, interview from the Sacramento game, he said that he had been told basically he was not going to play. He was going to sit on the bench, and DeAndre Jordan was going to be the guy. He was the center. He was the go-to guy. And then Frank Vogel changed his mind. And uh, Dwight Howard got the minutes. He earned them. And quite honestly, he should have always had them. When we still thought Marcus Gasol was returning, you know, Marcus Gasol was going to be a nice compliment and, and change the style to Dwight Howard. But Dwight Howard was going to be the guy that was going to get uh, quite a bit more minutes just because of his foot speed, his defensive tenacity, and um, his shot blocking and rim protection. So that being said, it's good to see Dwight Howard get get the role that he quite frankly deserves and has earned. He deserve if if we're gonna be playing a double center lineup, then Dwight Howard is the easy choice. If we're only gonna be playing one true center, and he's gonna be a backup, then Dwight Howard deserves that. Whatever the minutes are, that that goes to Dwight Howard. Um, Frank Vogel said from that point on they were just going to go with one center because having both DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard play limited minutes wasn't really being effective or efficient for either guy. So luckily he changed his mind on who it was that was going to be filling that role. Uh, because had it been just full on DeAndre Jordan, I don't know what the hell we'd be talking about at this point. Um, something that has been interesting is, uh, the, and when you, it's interesting because small ball as a concept is not anything new, nor is it anything interesting in today's NBA. But when you are talking about Frank Vogel, as a coach, this is an elite defensive coach. This is a guy who has a good mind for the game, but sees it in a certain way. He sees it as the opportunity to instill a bit of old school and 
bone crunching play style in it. He he favors physicality, favors bigger lineups, bigger players, um, defensive schemes that are built for players in of that of that ilk, and so this is a coach who enjoys the double big lineup because in all reality. Anthony Davis is not a power forward. He's a fucking center. He's the same height as Dwight Howard. He's nearly seven foot. Uh, and the way he's beefed up his physique, he's even more of a center now than he was when we first traded for him. So going forward, I'm just going to refer to Anthony Davis as a center. You guys can still call him a four or a power forward, whatever you want, but he's a center. Um, especially with how god-awful his jump shot is now. He's a center. And um, so, yeah, so basically playing, this is a coach who basically plays two centers and likes to do it that way. Now, the inch, back to where I started, the interesting thing about small ball is that Frank Vogel has decided to find a small ball lineup where it's not just a it's not ad as the single big in the lineup that is just regular basketball everybody refers to it as the small ball lineup but that's just regular basketball remember we're going forward calling ad a center so ad at the five lineup is no longer small ball that's just basketball the double big lineup is jumbo ball AD at the five is regular basketball and the new lineup and the new thing that has kind of been um, implemented into the team's system is LeBron at the five. Now, this is something that was kind of an idea back when Luke Walton was coach in 2018 and it looked like the Lakers were going to be modernizing once LeBron came because we had Kuzma, we had Ingram, we had Lonzo, Josh Hart, and then, you know, you had LeBron, and you had guys like Michael Beasley, you know, Lance Stevenson. We had a lot of wings and guards and forwards. So it seemed like there was potential to have these really modern small ball lineups and it never really happened they tried kuzma at the five but kuzma's um slider frame and and just not built for banging with centers even you know backup centers at that so it just didn't work and lebron wasn't really into it and it could have been just because luke walton was not is not a good coach um you know he didn't have a whole lot of faith yet in the guy's who he was playing with all understandable so we kind of got over the idea of Brom playing the five and now that's the thing um you know we even got further away from it because in Frank Vogel's first season with the Lakers in the championship season LeBron was the point guard that was and it was beautiful LeBron was made to be a point guard and it was awesome that's probably a core pillar of what is championship formula for this Lakers era with LeBron and AD. So fast forward to now, 
we are seeing lineups where you have LeBron at the five, and then you have uh, you have Russ, you have maybe THT, you have Wayne Ellington or or Malik Monk, and or uh, maybe you have Avery Bradley in there. So it's just a combination of LeBron at the five with four other guards because we basically don't have any wings without Trevor Ariza being healthy. Um, more on that to come later. So it's it's been very interesting because it's just like we finally see some modernization in Frank Vogel's approach to basketball. We finally see him, like I said, giving giving in a bit to the roster he has rather than approaching the game as if he has a roster he wishes he had, if that makes any sense. He's trying he was trying to coach the team he wished he had or the team he used to have with, you know, intricate defensive schemes, double big lineups, um, Avery Bradley at the starter, so that's this is not the same roster. And he's finally come to terms with it. He's accepted it. He's um, moved on to a different stage of grief, of grieving. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, sorry for the morbid uh, comparison. But yeah, so LeBron at the five creates an insane amount of spacing. LeBron can bang with just about any center in the league when he wants to and when he has to. Um and then on the offensive end, he can still orchestrate the offense better than anybody while being having to be guarded by the opposing team's center and bringing them out into the deep water. And when you can do that, you remove any threat of, of potential rim protection. You also put the often most or... You get the the defensive liability basically out where you want him uh, being exposed to being put in a mismatch. You put him in the pick and high pick and roll. Uh, you can get open driving lanes. You can create space. You can get open to shooters, drive and kick. You can do just about any freaking thing now when you have LeBron playing the five on the defensive end and playing the point guard on the offensive end. So... It just changes the game. It kind of unlocks more of Russell Westbrook's um, driving power. It, it gives him more uh, room to operate. He gives him more vision so he can drive and kick, create plays, get people active. And overall, it's a plus. Um, can't do it all the time. He shouldn't be doing, Frank Vogel shouldn't be doing it against these big physical spacing centers. Um, like you probably wouldn't want to do that against Joel Embiid. Um, while I'm, I'm sure LeBron can hold his own in bursts against Joel Embiid, you don't want to wear him out like that. Uh, so that's got to be one, just a tool in the toolbox. But it's good that he has it. Malik Monk has been showing signs of why he deserves a spot in the rotation. He's a volume player. He seems that he seems to get better and get hotter the more the more touches he gets so he he's similar to a Kyle Kuzma where the more involved in the action he is the more fluent he is and the better his shot is so give that man some more minutes I'm here for the monk propaganda and I'm here for Malik Monk getting touches 
his playmaking ability is uh, starting to show through as he's getting more confident and not worrying about being benched after two minutes if he doesn't automatically get 10 points in that time frame. So um, it's good to see him get more comfortable and really expand his game more often. Um, so, yeah, our starting five has uh, been tinkered with and, and right now uh, when healthy, it's Russell Westbrook, Avery Bradley, THT, LeBron, and AD. Sometimes Dwight's in there and they take out uh, THT. And then, yeah, while I don't agree with that, that's what it is. It seems Avery Bradley is Frank Vogel's guy. He still sees him in the light of, of the 1920 season. And when he, he was legitimately a good defender, he was legitimately somebody that set the tone defensively for the team and, and just kind of got the squad going He's not exactly that same guy, and he does have um, the occasional great performance, but it's just less frequent than it used to be. Although, as of late, the past couple games, he has turned it up a notch and seemed to have found a groove. But his off-ball defense is, is worse than it was before. His on-ball defense is still pretty good, um, but his off-ball defense is awful. He gets backdoor cut a lot, gets lost, gets caught ball-watching. And um, he's just not great off the ball. Um, his shooting was really bad. And it seems like now every couple games he has a really hot night. So um, like against, I think it was OKC, he hit like six of eight threes. Just absolutely was piping hot. Just Clay Thompson reincarnated. Um, so I don't really see him being removed from the starting lineup anytime soon. So that'll be that. Um, what the Lakers kind of have problems with is their effort on the defensive end. And they, they seem to be fighting in accepting that if they try hard, they have a better shot at winning. I know it's just, you know, that that's really complex shit. <laughs> you try hard and you might win. Because if you don't, you're definitely not winning at all, ever. Because the Lakers don't see that they're not good enough a team to coast, at least yet. Maybe they will later on in the season. But right now, they're not good enough to just coast and try to outscore teams. Because other teams can play defense, so they will stop you on occasion. They will junk up the paint. You know, they'll sag off of everybody and dare you to get hot from three. And you coasting will allow them to get comfortable, allow them to get hot. And they will torch your ass because teams have. So, and we're at a point in the season where, yes, the Lakers had maybe the easiest schedule in the first 10, 10 games. But they messed that all sorts of all sorts of fouled up and not taking care of business, not playing hard, not trying on defense and just not having any sort of familiarity or synchronicity. So um, they blew that they could have gone anywhere from like seven and three to ten and oh 
had they busted their asses in the first 10 games and really put the fear of God in the league. But no, they they choked up a lot of games. They were in dog fights and overtime games with really bad teams, blown double-digit leads. And now we're at a point, you know, 20-plus games in, where the, the league in general does not respect this Lakers team. And they have no reason to because of the reasons I just said plus more. Um, so they don't have a reason to to fear the Lakers right now. They don't have a reason that if they see they're down by 15 points, 20 points at any point in the game, that the game is over. And that is justifiable. That makes sense. Unfortunate as it is, that makes sense. Because the Lakers, as soon as they get a, a, a big, or not even a big, as soon as they get a lead or a double-digit lead or they get a little bit of rhythm going on, they start, you know, front-running. They, they take their foot off the pedal and they let teams ride back in it. Even up to today, they let teams ride back in it. So teams are okay going down by double digits to this team because they know that at any given moment the Lakers can get got and they have been got so teams don't care anymore when they're down uh, double digits to this team and that's not something you could have said for the championship team or even you know they took care of leads even last season it's just this team and it, this has been something that the Lakers have been doing since the Frank Vogel LeBron era in where they look for the absolute least amount of effort they can put in to each particular game and get away with a win. The championship level team had parts that fit guys who knew their role, a fresh LeBron and a deeply inspired Anthony Davis. So that team was going to win the championship bubble or no bubble. They were going to win it. That was just that was their year. Um, they were built the right way. They played the right way. And everybody was bought in. So even when they were looking for the least amount of effort to put in, it worked because they fit so well. And... As each season passes since the championship, because I can't even say years anymore. I can't. The way that COVID has affected the NBA, we, at least I, when I when I talk basketball, I don't talk in years anymore. I talk in seasons because it was only like 14 months ago that they won the championship, and this is the second season since. Um, so time doesn't always make sense in the NBA anymore so we'll talk in seasons and as the seasons pass since the championship it requires a little more and a lot more effort to be able to find that threshold of uh, just about how much you need to put in to get away with a win and this team is having trouble finding that threshold because quite honestly it's pretty high they have to bust their asses to get wins and that doesn't matter. I mean, had they not screwed up the first, you know, 10 games or so, they wouldn't have to because teams would 
call it a day if they were down big. They'd be like, okay, you know what? It's not worth fighting. They're going to, you know, they're going to put their foot on our throats and the game's over. Um, you know, it would be garbage time by the fourth quarter, like some of the games in the championship season. But no, nope. They know that a comeback is right around the corner. So they push and they push and they push. So this Lakers team, it will, I think it'll take a, a real strong winning streak from six to 10 games uh, with legitimate contenders in that streak to, to kind of get teams off their back. They can build big leads and then coast if they put to, if they string together some real wins. And I'm not talking going back to back wins of OKC and Orlando. I, I'm talking like you have to beat Miami. You have to beat the Bucks. You have to beat the Nets. You have to beat the Suns and the Warriors. You know, teams, the Jazz, teams that are going to do well this season, teams that will have lengthy playoff runs and teams that have a chance at the finals. You have to get good wins against them to earn respect. Because while, and you know, this season has kind of tainted the, the, the term future hall of famer for me, because well, yes, we have a lot of guys that will inevitably become Hall of Famers because of their their you know prestigious careers they've had. It's just they're not the players who earned that that you know place in the, the Hall of Fame when they call it a day. You know when they ride off to the sunset. Dwight Howard isn't the three-time Defensive Player of the Year right now. That as a center carried the Orlando Magic to the finals. He's not that guy anymore. He's a, he's a, a solid role-playing center, but he's not the double-sleeved Superman buzz-cut Dwight Howard with the bolder shoulders. Um, Carmelo Anthony isn't the dude busting people's asses in, in Madison Square Garden every night. He's not the Nuggets Carmelo Anthony battling with Kobe in the Western Conference Finals. He's not that guy. Rajon Rondo is not even in the rotation right now. And he, you know, so he's clearly not the guy that he was with Boston. You know, DeAndre Jordan isn't the Lob City DJ. You know, Russell Westbrook isn't, you know, Captain Triple Double from OKC, you know, in the early 2010s. And all down the line. So these, these vets aren't the guys they used to be. So when trying to either praise or down talk the Lakers by using the the you know future Hall of Famer as, as your catalyst for your, your argument, stop. Please stop. Because like I said, they're not that guy you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. The only guy who's still that guy is LeBron. Because right now A D is not that guy he was in twenty twenty. And that's that's fucking sad because he's 27 years old. He's supposed to be in the prime of his career. He should be fighting it out for best player on the planet right now. And that argument in and of itself is tired as fuck because everybody's trying to tell you who's the best player right now from Skip Bayless 
to Stephen A. Smith, to every talking head is worried about talking who's the best player in the planet right now. It's Giannis, it's Jokic, it's KD, it's Steph, it's LeBron. It doesn't matter. We're in the regular season and we have, we're barely approaching 30 games and it doesn't matter. Just watch the game. Let's let's just let's talk basketball without worrying about who's at the top of the mountain because it doesn't matter. And the guys that I mean AD is supposed to be in that conversation, but he just he's not looking like the guy he once was. And and I and you can f- see in his physique he's made changes. He's bulked up. He's put on muscle. He's put on weight. And my thinking in that, and I think the general consensus for people who are of logic and reason, um, the understanding is that he he built onto his body as to prevent him the best he can from being injured. So he can take the bumps and bruises more easily and not have to miss games for them. And when you see the way last season went, it makes sense and you understand it. So it seems like he's still getting used to his his new body playing in the body he is. That can be attributed to his um, his cardio being down. He gets winded. He used to play the full first quarter every game and then, you know, go long stints that his uh, his rotation has been having to be altered because his wind isn't where it should be. Um, you know, the more muscle you have, the more oxygen you require, uh, and so forth. And, you know, your shooting form is, or your shot is your touch is different when you have to adjust to new strength. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic in giving AD time to adjust to his new form, his new physique. And, um, hopefully he will adjust and bounce back because his jump shot is awful for one, but his effort and, and his, his body language is, has not been all that great. He has shown, he has shown times where if you recall last season, when Dennis Schroeder did something wrong or he made a mistake, his head dropped down. He was, you know, he was mopey. And, you know, he was very expressive with his body language. And, and AD has picked up some of those tendencies as well. So um, we have to, you know, this if AD isn't the, you know, the elite big Anthony Davis that he once was, then this team isn't going anywhere. Um, even with LeBron going nuclear, I think he can only do that for so long. He can only you know patch over for so many mistakes for so long and he needs his his co-star to really be you know a bad mf or to help contribute and so um i'm nowhere near the whole let's trade ad talk i think uh i think if you're talking trading ad you're you're just you're not talking anymore you're just spewing feces of the mouth um so i'm nowhere near that I'll trade Russell Westbrook far before I consider trading Anthony Davis. Um, so, you know, that that's where I stand on that. I, I still have plenty of patience for Anthony Davis. Um, 
He's, I think, second in the league in points in the paint. He's, you know, tacking the rim. Um, it's just his effort is, you know, all the talking heads talk about motor and they compare him to Giannis because, you know, Bubble AD is a better player than peak Giannis has been so far. Bubble AD was hitting like 40% from three, hitting like 50 or 60% from the mid-range, just destroying people, just best defender in the league, should have been the DPOY. You know, Bubble AD is an enigma of a player, and that is a bad mf -er. And there's he's just has he's more skilled than Giannis, and and you know this is like I said the talking heads are saying these the same conversations, but I um I'm not sure I've I've talked on it so I'll briefly go over it. AD is a more skilled player than Giannis, but Giannis has the motor and force of will to to be a more dominant player. He's not letting you stop him. You will have to foul the shit out of him, or hurt him or take a bad horribly probably painful charge to stop him AD's not that and if he had that motor if he had the motor of Giannis with the skill that he's got you know that's basically bubble AD so like I said I'm more patient with AD I just hope he comes around um hopefully he's been I mean he's been dealing with some soreness of the knee the last couple games so he's been out uh, so hopefully he, they said it's, it's very minor. And, um, so he's questionable for the game against the Mavericks. And, um, so I'm hoping that he's able to return and he finds the motivation to really be the player that he can be, because that will take this team a lot further than it is now or on, uh, it'll be a better trajectory than it is currently on. So. Um, that's basically what we've missed since the last time we've had a conversation. So we're going to dibble dabble into current events and it's not very pleasant boys and girls, not very pleasant at all. I'm going to start with the bad. We'll go into some of the good because it's not the good isn't as good as the bad is bad. Um, Talon Horton Tucker went into COVID protocols tested positive for covid uh that was announced and then just uh earlier this evening dwight howard and malik monk also went into covid protocols there's been uh more and more players testing positive and going into health and safety co protocols across the league the nets have been just destroyed by uh health and safety protocols the bulls have been hit by them uh the bucks are starting to get them uh, so, the, you know, the Lakers are starting to get it as well. So um, we'll have to see how, how things go because if this continues at the pace it's beginning to hit, the league may be in trouble because the winter is here, the holidays are here, people are going to be around their family, around their friends more often, uh, the weather isn't helping any, and people are just more prone to getting um, catching COVID. So we, uh, we will have to see because I know that pause, putting a pause on the season is the last thing that Adam Silver wants to do. But the, the question will be at what point 
how bad does it have to get before that becomes an option or becomes the option? We'll see how far it gets before Adam Silver pulls the plug. And I think that's just kind of where we're at right now. Just a wait and see. Um, so hopefully THT, Monk, and Dwight are all okay. Hopefully they're asymptomatic. Hopefully they recover uh, as soon as possible and, and are healthy. Uh, hopefully they bounce back from this and um, come back to form because it affects everybody differently. And COVID is no joke. And um, that's about it that we will talk on that matter because it's uh, it's just saddening and uh, it's very worrisome. So um, try to end on a positive note. LeBron James has scored 30 points or more on eight, I don't know, maybe it's nine now of his last 16 games. Well, he's only played 16 games. So just about... Every other game, he's scoring 30 points at least. And that, in season 19, he's going to be 37 this month, is nuts. It's nuts. I will say that. It's just nuts that what he's able to do. Um, you know, against Orlando, he had... The stats said he had three blocks, but it felt like he had six or seven. He was just blocking everything. And not even not even just chase down blocks, which he's been doing more frequently uh, this season than in past seasons. But face up, you know, you come at me and I'm sending that shit back kind of blocks. You know, smack the air out of the ball kind of blocks. Um, so it's good to see LeBron being activated like that. I uh, hopefully it doesn't drain him to the point where he becomes fatigued midseason, or um, you know gets you know I'm not even gonna say it. Um, anyways, he's been doing great. He's been playing really well. He's uh, surpassed the hundred triple doubles mark, and um, LeBron looks great. And we're gonna need every bit of peak LeBron that we can get. So what we shall end on is uh, the fun, you know, this is the, this is the Reese's Pieces, <laughs> you know, this is the Reese's Pieces of the NBA fodder in uh, Twitter circles everywhere. Trade talk. And uh, we'll do a podcast as trade season gets underway um, because we're approaching December 15th and that's where the majority of the league is, is eligible to be traded. And the trade machines have begun their engines. Um, there are reports, some, uh, some not as credible as others, but the Lakers are allegedly interested in the names Ben Simmons, Jeremy Grant, and or Miles Turner. Miles Turner is... Uh, an elite rim defender in a stretch five for the Indiana Pacers. And the Indiana Pacers have recently basically claimed we're having a fire sale because we are going to rebuild. So their players are available. They have um, a stack of really solid role players from 
uh, I believe it's Aaron Holiday or Justin Holiday, one of the Holiday brothers. They've got Tory Craig. Um, they have Demontis Sabonis, Miles Turner. They have T.J. Warren, Jeremy Lamb. Uh, I believe they have T.J. McConnell. Although I'm, I, he might be injured, I'm not sure. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon. So they have really good role players, and that team is just missing the main guy. But Indiana is not exactly, you know, free agent destination numero uno. So, <laughs> um, so there are plenty of guys that can do good things for contenders or or teams with aspirations. Um, Miles Turner is well, I think. On the defensive end, you put Miles Turner and Anthony Davis and LeBron James out there, and you've got a bad MF for everywhere you look. Um, so I think the defensive end would be pretty nasty, uh, and his spacing ability does does help when uh, considering DJ and Dwight don't give any spacing, even though Dwight's probably our best shooter. But... I don't think that's really the where you want to spend your assets. And when it comes to assets, all that re- the Lakers really have is Ken, uh, Kendrick Nunn, who still has not played a minute of regular season, and THT, who's now uh, COVID positive. So those are the guys that aren't the big three but make more than the, the veterans minimum. And that's your your trade assets right there. So I don't think Miles Turner is really what you want to go for. But if that happened, I don't think it would be a negative. Um, and it'll give us reason to let DeAndre Jordan enjoy his retirement. Jeremy Grant, though. Jeremy Grant is somebody that a lot of Lakers fans have been hoping to see in a Lakers jersey since the Western Conference Finals in the bubble. He was a hell of a defender for the Nuggets. He was hitting threes. He was, you know, he performed well in the bubble. And then that the lasting image you got when the Lakers eliminated the Nuggets was, you know, when the confetti's coming down, everybody's celebrating. You see LeBron going right over to Jeremy Grant, put his arm around him. They're having a conversation, and that's where the rumors were sparking. Like, oh, you know, Jeremy Grant to the Lakers confirmed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, excuse me. And, um, you know, Lakers had interest him in him the following summer in free agency. But, you know, the Nuggets offered him $20 million a year, and he turned that down for the same amount um monetary you know same money from Detroit but a far bigger role he wanted to lead the team and um so while Jeremy Grant would be a a great piece for the Lakers because he's a sizable wing he can shoot he can defend you know he has experience in being the 3 and D role player the thing the downside to it is what if he doesn't want to be the role player he might be on any given night the from you know he might be the third fiddle fourth fiddle you know does he want to take that step of kind of a down step um you know even if uh theoretically it would be in contending for something bigger than any aspirations Detroit currently has uh so that that you know the plus has some downside to it and then Ben Simmons Ben Simmons is basically 
Uh, Russell Westbrook, but bigger. Yeah, kind of. Um, so he's about 6'9", 6'10". Elite, elite defender, playmaker. Uh, monstrous in transition. But, you know, he's he's got... He's, he's famous for his... his lack of will to willingness to shoot threes or shoot jump shots you know he he's not shooting that and who um we don't we, he hasn't played a minute this season yet he's not playing at all and um so we don't know if he's in game shape we don't know if he'd be able to just jump in and play if he's traded somewhere we don't know if he's still not willing to shoot uh because um, while Russ shoots too many jumpers and has poor shot selection, uh, about half the time, that's not any worse nor any better than just not shooting the jumpers at all because it's neither, that's still not helping the spacing and you, you become an offensive liability because if you're not willing to shoot, defenses will sag off of you. You'll be open. You'll get the ball past you because you're open, and you can't shoot. They're sagging off of you, so the in the the paint is clogged. You're gonna try to drive in. You're gonna draw. You know they're gonna draw the charge. Um, so, like I said, you're become an offensive liability. So, Ben Simmons, while on the defensive end, would be wonderful. I I don't know if that's um. I don't know if on the offensive end that helps much. So of the three, I would prefer Jeremy Grant. I would trade THT, Kendrick Nunn, uh, and throw in maybe some picks for Jeremy Grant if the money matches up. But I'm, I'm not, you know, Eric Pincus or Bobby Marks when it comes to contracts. So um, that's just me. It would be nice to see because he's then basically just – prime souped up Trevor Reza and then you still have Trevor Reza coming soon so you can have him coming off the bench so now you have two sizable uh defensive capable w wings and in theory that can shoot so you know that's a double plus and that's a lot less pressure to put on Trevor Reza you know and then uh Jeremy Grant is younger he still has another season after this one on his contract and, you know, maybe you can entice him to stay around because it's not a bad option to have. So I've gone on. It's almost been an hour. So, so forgive me for my rambling and uh, my pessimism at times. But, you know, I'm just here living and dying on every possession just like you guys are at. And I'm screaming at my TV just like you guys. <laughs> so um, since, you know, I'm on winter break, I will try to do this maybe once or twice a week. So that way it's not just so much catch up and we can, like I said, talk more in depth on current events. So until next time, this has been That Lakers Guy. Peace.